This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game today. We have Mr. Emilio Figueroa from Foresight, and we are going to talk workers' comp, specifically about what they're doing and making waves out in the southwest part of the country. Emilio, what's going on, my friend? How you doing, David? Kyle? Um, Foresight? We are a true InsurTech. If you look at what InsurTech is nowadays, and you know... It's pretty much technology vendors providing services to the insurance industry. To me, that's not InsurTech. Um, they're more vendors. A true InsurTech would be getting a foundational uh, technology and then wrapping an insurance program around that. So what we've done at Foresight is we have a risk management platform that's been up and running for about six, six years now, uh, going on seven. And we've wrapped a workers' comp program around that foundational technology. Interesting. So when you say foundational technology, um, I'm going to think that the majority of the people listening to this are as dense as I am. What, what do you mean by that? Okay. So we have a risk management app um, and platform. So, you know, right now risk management is more, is, is very legacy based. There's a lot of paperwork to be done. There's tailgate meetings are usually on paper. You have, you know, you might have a little tablet, you might have a, you know, a little app where you do checklists. We have a full risk management suite um, platform and an application that goes with it. Um, this is for your front level workers to look at observations, hazards, inspections, incidents, etc. cetera, uh, to do meetings, certi- certifications, you know, teachings, you, you name it, we do it. So through that application, we created a workers' comp program around it, and we grade each individual insured uh, with a risk score based on how they're engaging within the application um, and use that risk score to look at mitigating uh, trends, risk trends. So we look at minimizing any claims that may happen uh, and we can, and we've shown it through an actual study that shows that we can reduce the frequency of claims through the engagement with the, te- with the technology simply by changing the behavior behind uh, the company's risk management and risk mitigation strategies. What are the some of so, the pieces that go into the into the risk score? 
oh, we we have thousands of uh, of internal and external data points. So we look at you know external data points. We can look at someone's gait. We can look at someone's um, elevation. How, you know, are they are they in a five story building? Are they in a two story building? We we look at movement. We look at you know geospatial positioning, which is part of that elevation. We look at weather patterns. We look at you know when are they recording an observation or a hazard or an incident? Is it every Friday at three thirty? Um, or are they doing it and engaging within the platform? Um, and then through that, based on that engagement, we reach out, we have customer engagement risk teams that will reach out to the respective supervisor or the employee or the CEO and try to change those behaviors. So by being able to change the company culture behind how they see risk management, even if they have a risk management uh, team internally, you know, they're usually set on, you know, having legacy ways of doing, you know, safety meetings on a Monday morning. Um, we try to change that based on what's available. Yeah. So looking at the um, number of data points, I mean, you, you said literally thousands of data points. If somebody's a prospect for your program, how do you get access to all of that if they're not already a user to underwrite an initial opportunity? So what we look at, and your your initial submission process is very legacy based, where someone sends in a court application, they send in a supplemental application with loss history for the insurance. We get that. That's your standard insurance submission. We look at that submission internally from what the broker is sending in, but then we go out to external data providers, and we get roughly about 280 to 320 data points specifically to the respective insurance. It could be anything from if it's a contractor, we, we're grabbing, you know, we're, we're grabbing, um, we're, we're grabbing filed permits, and we look at the permit, we look at the size of the job of the permit, the type of job that they're doing, how long it took them to finalize that permit, um, and you know, there's thousands of different data points you can get to really, uh, on a granular basis, underwrite and analyze what they're doing. Yeah. So basically, once you get them on um, on board, then you get them engaged with the app, and you have the ability to pull the actual usage based on that. So I have a I do have a question though, because I mean, one of the things that I've seen trending in workers' comp specifically is the integration of wearable devices to the whole workers' comp underwriting process, similar to what you see from health insurance providers. Um, having people wear Fitbit or whatever uh, to measure what they're doing, how they're doing it, level of intensity and all of that. Do you guys have wearables that you're integrating now? Is that something that you've looked at? I'm just really interested in, obviously, if somebody's going to do an accident or an incident report, that's something that they can do electronically and you can capture, especially if you're they're using your interface to do that. And you can monitor the frequency in which they're doing it, whether they're doing it on a regular basis, level of severity, all of the other things that we would normally talk about. I, I'm interested, though, in uh, what your thoughts are, if that's something that you've explored or something you've looked into or something that you already have. Um, so right now we are software-driven. We have looked at, at uh, bringing and integrating different IOT devices, you know, specialized helmets or, you know, PPE. Um, we've looked at bringing that in and we'll, we'll bring that into respective individual insurance based on what they're doing. Um, you know, depending on the industry, if it's a manufacturing plant, we can put little dongles, you know, next, we can have the employee wear dongles to look at what he's doing, um, et cetera. So we, we have looked at it and right now we don't use 
IoT devices, but looking at integrating that. So is it safe to make the assumption then that based on current, uh, how you're currently set up, that you're basically underwriting a risk and you know, look, this is my living room, but you're welcome to correct me if I'm wrong at any point. Okay. Um, but I look at this right now in that you're doing a normal underwriting based on submissions. Somebody comes in to your program. I'm assuming that the rate setting is not assuming. I know that rate setting is done at the onset to the onset of the engagement, but let's just say that over the course of that next year, uh, somebody doesn't perform, uh, what you would expect them to. And I'm not talking about from an actual loss performance standpoint, but they just haven't complied with the behavior yet. And let's just say for being devil's advocate's sake, they don't come in and comply with what you need them to over the course of the first year. They're substandard in terms of using your application to give you the data you need to accurately portray what the, the real risk profile of this account looks like. Is that then something that you would look at from a pricing standpoint and you would end up looking to increase rate because you haven't gotten the adoption and the, the, the thought process is that if they don't adopt and change from the legacy things they were already doing that it could end up being worse? Or is it something where you leave it flat or do you get, if they were to go in and they were to use every single one of your tools, is, are they doing that in an effort to gain credit on their rates, which ultimately would buy them to buy them adopting your product? Yeah. So great question. So for us, obviously, you know, if no one's using the technology um, or if an insured is not using the technology and they're not engaging with what with how we perceive them or how we perceive they should be engaging within the technology, then depending on the insured at renewal, obviously, if it's going to if they haven't done anything, everything's going to stay flat. Historically, it should be the same. Um, if they're being less reactive than they were before, based on the, the lack of understanding of the technology, we have internal engagement teams that will push them to change that behavior. It takes 45 to 60 days to change someone's behavior. So by constantly changing that or, or pushing that or nudging them to change that behavior, we'll see a change in risk management attitude and and that'll reflect with you know their incidents with their engagement levels um if you look at what's happening you know on a social level right now you know we were told to use masks no one wanted to use masks in the beginning slowly through the usage that's become a habit and people are, are using it more so and more frequently than anything else um even if you know now it's become secondary nature you walk out in, in public and you know you automatically put it on without really thinking about it um, before it was you know i have to wear my mask i have to do this um for the and for the clients that do engage within the application obviously we're looking at you know having best in class clients within that then we'll definitely look at it's not we we can't change any rating based on um or provide discounts based on the usage of the technology that's not part of you know how how we do our filings and we can't do filings yet that way but look we're looking at doing that you know in specific sandbox states that will allow that look at integrating that uh, looking at changing different methodologies of how we're going to be quoting um, or, you know, imagine if we could have um, you could if we could, you know, and this is obviously a wish item that we're looking at. Um, if we could have an insured that has a risk score, that's an A, B, C or D. And we have a, an insured that has an A risk score uh, for a respective month. 
we'll look at lowering the rate based on that. So have a fluctuating rate for workers' comp, and that's unheard of in the industry. Right now you have a flat rate. Let's say you have a class code, um, whatever construction class code, 5553, so roofing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And if they're super engaged and they don't have many incidents and they, you look at their observations and they're, and they're mitigating those, those uh, hazards that may have or changing their incidents, and we're pushing, we're pushing tailgate meetings based on you know, any observations that may 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 turn into a, an incident, and they're actually looking at mitigating that and being proactive, uh, not reactive. Then they're going to have historically lower lower uh, claims just because they're engaged. And by being able to do that, if we could change the rate on a monthly basis based on that, that would blow the workers' comp industry away because it's just no one does that right now. It's impossible to do that. We're looking at doing something like that. Um, in the near future, we need to start, you know, speak with the respective departments of insurance to be able to do things like that. But yeah, I mean, for us, we're looking at engagement. If you engage, great. You're going to be, you know, best in class. You're going to see a historical uh, lower free, uh, incident frequency, and then you'll have a lower experience mod, and you'll get a better rate. That's just standard. Um, if you're not going to be engaged. We don't want you as a client. I mean, we'll you know we'll offer you a flat rate, or we'll give you or we'll surcharge you out of the out of the marketplace. <laughs> that is called declination through pricing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's a, that's a good point, though, man. I mean, so to me, what I'm hearing right now is that, and, and I get what you're saying. I probably should have thought through my question a little bit before I answered it because I understand all the red tape that we get into when we have to start dealing with the state departments of insurance and filing you know, rates and forms and everything else, I would not want to sit in your chair um, based off of that alone. That's an absolute nightmare. Um, but what I'm basically hearing you say is that this is really your value proposition. You're giving these people all these tools. They're, you're encouraging them to use them. You want them to use them. And the incentive is that they're going to ultimately pay less, not necessarily through or not at all through a, a formalized uh, credit that you have filed at this time with the state, but it just mm-hmm. should be a natural progression of things that After happen. They change so, the behaviors. Correct. And I mean, correct. just so just so you understand, Emilio, we didn't really get into our background, but our agency, we work with companies that have debit mods period that's who i like to go after it's an easy way for us to lead and we focus on accounts that are 250 to 500 thousand dollars in premium they're above the competency of the average local agency and below the threshold for willis marsh aeon and some of the national players so we can do very very well in that space we have a very robust risk management offering that is part of that in terms of education training you know shifting the company's culture, how we engage them with nurse triage and claims management and all of those other things. It sounds to me like you give them the the whole freaking farm, you know, if they have a policy with you and as a result, you expect them to use it. Absolutely. So, you know, like you said, you guys are using nurse triage. We do the same thing. Um, we have, you know, our we work with Sedgwick and with others for TPE services, depending on the size of the insured. Um, we look at not only providing nurse triage, but we're looking at you know following up. So we have our engagement team that follows up with an employee if he's injured. How how are they feeling? What's going on? You know, is there any return to work duties? And we push everything uh, to change that behavior. Usually, if an employee's injured, they don't want to go to work. They don't want to do modified work. They'd rather just sit around and hang out. 
we offer volunteer services where they can go volunteer and get paid. Um, you know, there's a local charity and they need help, you know, filing paperwork or doing whatever, you know, they can go to the whatever local volunteer uh, location and their employer will still pay them. And it's just maintaining that, that social movement, making sure that they're doing something and they can go back to work sooner rather than just sitting at home, not doing anything. Uh, so for us, it's the behavioral change is from, you know, day one, looking at risk management, but all the way down to the claim, making sure that even when they have a claim, we're still engaging them and making sure that they're looking at changing their behavior and looking at changing how they how they dealt with a claim on a legacy basis. Yeah, you you got to keep them out of the house, man, because that's where they're laying around watching plaintiffs' attorneys' commercials the whole day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, in all, in all actuality. So listen, um, you guys right now are limited to the Southwest. What, remind me what states it is that you're writing in currently. So right now we're in California, New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. Looking at going national by the end of the year, uh, our offering right now is workers' compensation with the risk management technology. We're adding additional lines of business. Uh, to complement the workers' compensation, we're not writing anything else monoline, just to workers' comp. So we just launched uh, property yesterday. So we're looking builders' risk, contractors' equipment, uh, inland marine, uh, cargo. Uh, looking at adding additional lines, looking at bringing commercial auto within the next 60 to 90 days. General liability, same time frame. Uh, looking at bringing excess, you know, umbrellas, etc. Uh, within the next those within the next nine months. So, so we're playing in the same sandbox. Oh, sorry, Dave. Go ahead. I was just saying we're playing in the same sandbox in terms of size and the middle market and everything. We were talking a little bit before we got on. Why don't you tell everybody kind of the industries that you guys focus on? Yeah. So we are true middle market. So our minimum filed premiums are 25000 but we're looking at clients that are 175 to half a million in premium. That's our average submissions. We've bound accounts that are 2.5 million, 2.6 million actually. Um, so we're, you know, we do the gamut of middle market. Um, the industries that we're looking at, we're looking at agriculture, construction, manufacturing, anything that's light industrial, and we love distribution. Okay. So where I was, what I was going to ask is, um, that's a pretty aggressive trajectory. I, I'm going to assume that you're going to take the same approach with the other lines of coverage that you do with the comp and, and have a robust, um, an even more robust app to handle the behaviors you want to see uh, from drivers. If, for example, if it's auto related or um, I'm drawing a blank on what I would do from a property risk engineering standpoint that could be done over an app. Cause usually that stuff to me is physical inspections and things, but I, I'm just interested which is perfect. I mean, if you if you look at equipment, for example, contractors equipment, you know, you have, you know, basic tools, it's you don't keep a schedule on but tools that you keep schedules on. Right now, on risk management, it's written on paper or an Excel spreadsheet. What if you can just take a picture of the serial number input the information on the app, you have your full schedule there, you want to delete it, you press a button, you want to add a new one, you take a picture and just add the information. And it, that information is transferred to the insurance company. And that's all you have to do. You don't have to talk to your broker, you can simplify <laughs> the process, your brokers engaged in a different way. Um, our goal is to change the relationship between brokers and insureds 
to not being to so brokers are not looked at salespeople, but they're looked at uh, risk management or risk mitigators. So they can and for us, it's changing that relationship uh, for the brokers. Well, you know so what, though, that, that's got to start with the broker. You can't change somebody's perspective of the broker. The broker has to change their perspective. They need to quit selling a product and start selling solving problems and they'll change that perception on their own. I mean, that's a noble effort on your part. Unfortunately, I feel like it probably falls on deaf ears most of the time because the industry's been so conditioned that we have to sell, have to sell, have to sell, and we're worried about selling on price and selling premium that we don't even realize. So people that are listening to this, what you're actually hearing is this guy. This guy's not trying to take you and move you out of the relationship. He's trying to give you the ability to focus on driving value and using their tools to free up your time to do those things on each of your accounts that requires your attention. But I got to tell you, as soon as I got it out of my mouth and said, it's typically physical inspection before you ever even started talking. I'm like, I bet he's going to say you can take a picture of this stuff and upload it into their application. And then it's going to going to be there because that's how the mobile app works for our agency. Mm -hmm. Yep. And if you, you know, you look at the relationship between, you know, between broker, the broker and the insured um, for us, you know, the broker is driven by money, by compensation. Well, we're driven by safety. So if their respective insured is getting an A or a B score, We'll compensate the broker an additional, you know, additional couple points in commission just to make sure that they're engaged for that respective month. If their client's getting a C or a D, they're not going to get that additional compensation. So if you you dangle that carrot and making sure that the broker's being more proactive about being engaged because he's getting additional compensation, that changes that behavior for the broker and the mentality that they have. So we're we're using a three pronged you know effect with the insured. Have the so broker is that scoring something you? Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was so, just going to ask, is that scoring something you do on a monthly basis, it sounds like? We do it on a monthly basis per organization. And we are very granular. To get the risk score, you look at the organization as a whole, but we go on a granular basis and we look at the employees, we look at job sites, we look at regions, and we'll we'll grab you know the, the, the risk score for the organization itself. And we can tell them, look, you know, this job site in whatever state is getting a B. But this job site in you know this other state is getting a D, and they're getting a D because of this. Why don't we change that? And we give that information to the insured. We give that information to the broker so he can engage and talk to the ownership level or the C-level executives that he's dealing with to change that behavior. So you know, for us, it's attacking it on a three-prong level directly, you know, from us, from our customer engagement and risk management teams, um, from the broker level, and then from the insured level. So when you say that you look at it on a on a monthly basis, talk to me like when when somebody goes uh, and uses your company for their workers' compensation, how is that premium determined each month? Is it a flat monthly installment? Do you integrate with the payroll companies? Is it a monthly self audit? Uh, I'm just interested in knowing because it sounds like you have the ability to change the agent's compensation month by month based on their engagement to bring this person onto the platform in a more meaningful way. And if the agent's not interested, then they're not going to get that spiff in their commission. But if they are engaged, then they will. How do you manage that on a month to month basis? So we do, we do installments. Uh, we also do pay -go. So we have standard installments, you know, we're 8.3% down with 11 installments or, or you know, 12%, 15%, whatever it is, plus your installment levels. And then we do pay as you go, you know, 10% down and pay as you go. Um, 
and we can connect to payroll systems. We can, you know, we have the gamut of, of you know, we are we are a tech firm at heart. So for us, we have the gamut of using technology and having bridges within those partnerships. Um, and if the insured does it everything by paper, then they can just do self-reporting as well. So we'll provide whatever services. So based on that monthly payroll and what that monthly insurance charge would be uh, from your net rate, then we'll go ahead and give the additional commission on that. So what I'm hearing is you're not a solution for every client because you have to have the right client that wants to be better. Even if they're good, they want to go to great. Or if they've had some problems, they want to become committed and push themselves forward. I'm going to guess you don't work with every agency either because you've got to have the right agent that's willing to get behind this and understand how to sell it that way. You know, having you on the podcast is is one thing to talk about who your end user is, but at the end of the day, why don't you why don't you tell everybody what kind of an agency you want to work with? We obviously we want, you know, like everyone else, we want to work with the best in class agency. We are open uh, distribution, so any agency can get an appointment with us. We will, you know, on a granular level really underwrite each individual account and we will request engagement from every single insured and broker if they want to get the extra compensation. Um, if the broker is not engaging, we won't give them the extra compensation. If we're, they're sending us, you know, a thousand submissions and by, and closing one, we're not going to be working in the future. It's very simple. We want you know brokers that are engaged, that are looking at helping their insureds, are looking at additional compensation, that are looking at being best in class for the respective industry. You know, th this is not for your mom and pops. Not every agency writes middle market accounts. You know, there's out of you know usually 9% 9% of the agencies out there are writing uh, the middle market business. They'd like to write it, but they can't compete against your, you know, your big five, your Willis, Aons, et cetera, and Marshes. Um, for well, us, that's because we're, they you know, don't have the internal, they don't have the internal resources, number one, but the reason they don't have it is because they don't understand that they need it and why they need it. And then when they do understand that, the next thing they're going to do is bitch about how much it costs to have that. And they don't realize that that's not an expense. It's an investment. And if you have that internal resource for risk management or whatever you're using to go out and generate new business, that is not an expense. You're getting a return on that investment. And I think that what you guys are doing by taking that in, I don't know if it's a word or not, but appifying it, I think that makes it uh, much easier to use. And I, and honestly, I think it makes it sexier for the agent. It's a great thing to say at the point of sale. If you have a forward thinking agency and they can go in and they're competing against somebody and all they can talk about is the guy that's been the loss control guy for the last 15 years from the carrier coming in with his clipboard and all the boxes he needs to check, that doesn't play nearly as well at the point of sale as somebody who goes in and talks about a carrier that has the ability to streamline the process. Look, I would make itself deprecating right hey i just found a carrier that's going to make sure you don't have to deal with me nearly as much as you used to but the time we spend together is going to be that much more meaningful because i can really focus on those core competencies that i bring to the table instead of some of this stuff that could be for lack of a better term delegated to a generalist and they've put this into app form absolutely and for us we're also looking for the new startup agencies that actually want to help their clients but they don't have the resources to be able to hire an internal risk management team. We become the risk management team for that broker. We help them, um, even if it's a large brokerage. You know, we look. It's we help them as well because we just complement each other. 
we look at every individual insured and we look at to see if they have a risk management, uh, let's say handbook. And if they do, great, let us see it. We'll configure each individual application to every individual insured based on their industries um, and based on how, you know, how proactive they are with risk management. If they want to, if they want, you know, 80% of their workforce to be to be engaged within the application, great, we'd love that. Um, if they only want, you know, 40% because they're a labor contractor and they only have supervisors and C level that are going to be doing this, that's fine. We love that too. As long as we could see a change in behavior within the organization, that's what we care about. So that's interesting that you evaluate that on an individual basis, where you kind of come in and do a, a, a baseline uh, evaluation and then develop the app. You know, specifically for them, based on that, is what I'm is what I'm hearing. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and we turn on and off features, you know, based on industry and based on engagement levels and what we what we'll do with them. Do you have somebody that comes out and will do some sort of training with the insured or or, or with the broker? Maybe then then they can kind of relay that stuff to them. But I imagine oh, you have to. Yeah, so you know, we'll we'll onboard them. We'll ease the onboarding process for them, so they don't have to input a lot of information. We'll you know, we have risk management teams that will come out and, you know, look at their actual risk management program or they, if they don't want them to come out, they can send us information and we'll tailor it to them. We have training uh, individuals that will come out and train the respective insurance or, or their employees, you know, how to engage with the application. Um, and once you start using it, they love it because it simplifies everything from your risk management, you know, me- internal methodologies to OSHA compliance, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we have, we do automatic OSHA 300 logs within it. You know, clients hate doing that. Employees hate it. It's a it's a lot of time for them to do this. It's automated through the through the usage of the technology. Nice. So let me ask you this, and I mean, I don't want to try and dig under the covers too deep, but the stuff that you're talking about from the app and the engagement sounds strikingly similar to some of the stuff that we know about through KPA and Think HR. Is this proprietary technology for you or is the app itself proprietary technology and you're white labeling another product known in the industry to deliver some of the training and the OSHA compliance and the 300 log entry and all of that? Yep. it's a great question. So for us, the, the risk management technology has been up and running for six years. Um, it is it is a sister company to Foresight. Foresight is an insurance arm. SafeSight is the risk management arm. So we have exclusivity to the risk management technology um, usage within the insurance industry. So any client can go out, go to SafeSight and get the freemium version, which you know does very basic risk management. But if you want to get the full feature suite, you have to buy the insurance and you have to be able to to engage within it. So you can't even get the full suite unless you're a policyholder. Correct. That's that's smooth move on your part. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. that it's important, too, because, I mean, listen, the companies that I mentioned, Think HR and KPA, are well known for what they do inside of you know many middle market companies so the fact that you can give them a platform that on the surface just you know talking about it over the phone without looking at a demo sounds like it's as robust as what they offer but it's no out of pocket to the agent and it's no out of pocket to the client i would be writing as much business as i could with you if i were in the southwest so i guess what i'm telling you is hurry up and get to florida man There's a lot of comp- competing business in Florida with PEOs. I mean, for us, you know, depending on, on what state. That's that's not true. I, I disagree with that wholeheartedly. You? Not in the middle market. If oh, you put me in front of a market. If you, not in the middle market. I agree with you. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you put me in front of a PEO, I will take a middle market account from them 100% of the time. In fact, yeah. I also poach their employees. That's what this guy was doing before I brought him on. <laughs> yeah, so for and, and you are right. PEOs are the smaller clients, um, the middle market stuff. We'd love to see that. We will be going nationwide this year, like I stated. The goal is to, to push it aggressively and, and grow as fast as we can, and we're growing by leaps and bounds right now. Um, bringing additional lines of business is key to maintain, you know, the insurance engaged. So for us, it's, you know, adding additional technology levels to what we're doing is key as well. Yeah, and Florida's its own animal because we have state-administered pricing, so there's not a bunch of scheduled credits and debits that can be filed. There's only so much that can be done inside of the pricing, which is why I always yep. revert back to value, because if you're going to win workers' comp deals in Florida, it's always going to be a value play because price is never an issue. Right. The price is the price is the price all day long Correct. unless you're running into something that's got an extreme amount of problems and then you're dealing with a consent to rate situation or whatever else. The only middle market companies I run into that run into PEOs are the ones that need to be in a PEO because no standard market's ever going to want them. And them. you know, typically it's the tougher classes of business that you have to write. Um, with that yeah, being said, I mean, I think... I feel like we've covered a lot. What 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 else can we bring to the forefront for everybody listening that you would want them to hear? Well, I mean, obviously we are, you know, in SureTech, we're looking at growing rapidly. We are looking at, you know, bringing in as many clients as possible and as many brokers as possible. Right now, our submission process is, you know, upload your Accord loss history and supplemental app. We're changing that very, very shortly within the next, you know, three months. You'll be able to have full digital submissions. Uh, type in an, you know a client's name or tax ID or address, and we'll be able to go out to the respective data points, pull all the data automatically. Broker will confirm payrolls, so they'll put payrolls in. Class codes will be there already from you or for you. You know we're pulling information from NCCI, from the WCIRB, from the different bureaus, um, and you'll have an, a digital indication for middle market. There's no one, no one's offering a, you know an indication on the middle market basis right then and there. If you want to move forward, you upload your Accord supplement and loss history, and then we'll have we'll have one of our underwriters turn a quote around within two to twenty four hours. In middle market, you won't hear that. That's a five to seven day turnaround time. So for us, not only are we using technology, you know, on the back end completely, we're looking at digitizing everything on the front end to simplify that engagement for the broker as well as much as possible. I'm assuming part of the ability to turn stuff around like that is you're using a healthy dose of uh, predictive analytics in your underwriting model. Is that accurate? We're using a lot of predictive analytics. And how much latitude, because I know that anytime you bring that up, um, you know, one of the things we've run into down here is when the, as the carriers have adopted predictive analytics, you lose the ability to tell the story. So it seems like, um, you know, the, the companies that have gone that route have become hard and fast and whatever the algorithm tells them is what they do. They don't listen to the human side of the story anymore, regardless of how good your case is uh, regarding an account. I'm interested as to how stringent you guys use that in the underwriting process. Is it a hard and fast rule or is it simply, hey, this is what you need to be aware of as an underwriter, have the conversation, look and see, touch what, look at what you can touch and feel that the computer may not have seen and you can still have the ability to make forward progress because I've, I've actually had several accounts over the course of the last probably 
five years as predictive analytics have become more and more prevalent where in the old days I would have been able to pick up the phone and call Susie Underwriter and say, hey, look, I understand that the loss ratio on this for the last two years hasn't been that good, but I've given you 10 years of loss runs and here's what it looked like prior to the two years they had the blip in the radar. Here's what it's looked like after that fact. Also, by the way, you should know that the period of time where they had that blip in the radar was a period of extreme growth. They outgrew their facility. They had problems with housekeeping and they that was what revolved uh, resulted in the trips and falls. Since then, they've moved into a new facility where there's more space. They don't have those issues. And that's why all of the injuries have subsided. That sounds like a reasonable risk at that point. I can explain the story as the producer. I've been out there. I've taken pictures. I've interviewed the executive leadership team and gotten their buy-in and commitment to that uh, to do what they need to do to shift the culture from one of um, reaction to proaction. We used to be able to get deals done like that. As the carriers down here have brought in predictive analytics, it's hard and fast. I've lost the ability with many of my carriers to have the conversation anymore. And I have a feeling that as people listen, they're going to want to know sort of where you guys stand on that as well. I mean, do we do we lose the ability to have the conversation or do we still have the ability to have the conversation? I think it just enhances the relationship between the underwriter and the broker because we use that just as a flagging system to look at, you know, at flagging items that the underwriter will look at. So predictive analytics for us is not spitting out, you know, quick quotes. That's for the small market. For the small market, you can use predictive analytics just to give pricing, quote and bind digitally, no touch process directly when you're selling to the consumer. When you're selling through a broker distribution base, which is how we how we do everything, we look at it as a flagging system to look at, you know, these are the issues we're seeing and let the underwriter dig in. Our underwriters look at every single risk individually. They look at the predictive information or the flagging that they that they're having just as a, uh, as a notification as a notification but every single account, you know, for us, it's building that relationship with the broker, maintaining that relationship with the broker and doing ease of business. It frees up our underwriters from spending a lot of time digging in on the underwriting level because it summarizes everything for them. Um, and then they can dig in within the summaries themselves and building that relationship with the broker and have more time to spend with the brokers. Great answer. I look forward to you guys coming to Florida, man. I think we would get along swimmingly. Yeah. Give me, uh, give me three to four months and we'll be in Florida. Nice. That sounds good. Well, listen, I know people are going to want to reach out to you. I want to be respectful of your time and, and wrap this up. Uh, how can they find you and get a hold of you to talk about uh, sending you business? Simple. Just go to our website, getforesight.com. Uh, if you're a broker, go in there, you know, fill out the appointment information. We'll have one of our marketing leads reach out to you. Uh, for any insurance, what we do is they can go on there and they can look for a broker. So any regional broker that's within or that are appointed with us, we can give you uh, a direct link to a broker that's appointed with us or have your broker, you know, go to the website. Easiest way to do cool it. Cool deal. Everything's digital. Cool we deal. are, you know, tech forward. That's awesome. Well, listen, Amelia, I really appreciate you spending time with us today. I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. I hope that there is an outpouring of inbound uh, inquiries to your website from agents who want to make a difference where they're at. And people, the difference needs to start with how you think. And if you start thinking like a risk manager, then this makes all the sense in the world. If you start thinking about somebody who thinks, oh, wow, this guy's got a lot of intel via computer and he's probably going to catch me trying to place bad business with him, you're absolutely 
absolutely right. <laughs> Don't waste his time or yours. That being said, Emilio, I hope you have a great week, man. Thanks for coming on and spending time with us, and I'm sure that we will be talking soon. David Cole, my pleasure. Thank you very much. Yep. Thanks. Yes, sir. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. 